DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. Dr. Lewis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Dr. Lewis is also the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lewis, we reflect on the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, entitled The Last Retreat, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We now continue our conversation with Dr. Lillis on The Last Retreat, Day 11. This is kind of a critical moment in the spiritual life where the Lord is asking for an extra and an extra kind of trust. And I think actually people who are more accomplished and competent in many things, this kind of letting go, this sort of solitude and silence requires is harder for them because they've gotten good at being in control of a lot of things and they want to be in control of their life of prayer in the same way, kind of setting the parameters in which their encounter with God is going to take place. You know, I'm going to learn about this virtue today and I'm going to work against this vice today. And Elizabeth, she's not saying that any of that is wrong, but she's inviting us to something a lot deeper It is the whole Trinity who dwells in the soul that loves them in truth, that is, by keeping their word. And when this soul has realized its riches, all the natural or supernatural joys that can come to it from creatures or from God himself are only an invitation to re-enter into itself in order to enjoy the substantial good that it possesses which is nothing else than God himself. It's specifically the people that she's speaking to are those who have been working at the spiritual life for a little while. And as they work on the spiritual life, they notice little tendencies in their heart that are very difficult. They, in fact, with their own efforts, they feel like they haven't been able to make any progress. For example, one of the things that souls that have already begun the spiritual life, but God is calling them to a greater stability, these souls might deal with something like brooding over injury. Somebody says something to them, looks at them cross-eyed, or does something worse, and such a brooding spirit just can't let go of the hurt that was done. And they might know that it was wrong for them to brood. They might know that it's important to forgive. They might know that it's important to make a little extra effort to be joyful. And yet this thing kind of habitually pulls them down. Elizabeth knows that God has the power to strip them of brooding. But in order for God to strip them of brooding, they need to have the courage to enter into the silence in solitude of the Father so that he can communicate his strength to them 
Why do they need strength? Not to overcome brooding. They need strength to be able to say yes to the word. The word is what does the stripping. And who is the word? The word of the Father. This is Jesus. The Father speaks his word to us. When he speaks Jesus to us, Jesus communicates all goodness and all truth and all beauty into our souls. And when that fullness is communicated into us and we say yes to it, when we consent and say yes to the word like the Blessed Virgin Mary, let it be done unto me according to your word, then the stripping happens easily. It's painful, but it happens easily. And we were able to let go of, in this instance, let go of that brooding that has been holding us back and our intimacy with God and our service to one another. So do you see how this kind of contemplative prayer, this kind of mental prayer that doesn't involve so much uh, all kinds of meditations or uses of the imagination or considerations of this virtue or counteracting it with this vice, in this kind of prayer where you simply surrender to the silence and you welcome the word, the word of the Father into your heart, you say, yes, do with me what you will. This is a more receptive, uh, you could say passive stance. I'm not going to try to set the parameters of this relationship. Lord, you do with me what you will. Then the word of God, the, the Son of the Father, has the freedom to begin to strip the soul in certain ways because that soul which consents to his coming, that welcomes him, that soul is available to him, vulnerable to his power because he does have the power to cut right through bone and marrow, right into the depths of the heart. And the reality is when we have attachments to sin, whether it's rash judgments or brooding over injury or anxiety and fear, whatever the things are that are holding us back, there's some of that we can work on, the voluntary part of it we can work on, but there's an involuntary part that only the Word of God can free us from. And the Word of God frees us from it by piercing us to the heart. And we can only be pierced to the heart if through entering into silence and solitude, we receive the strength of the Father, the strength alone that allows us to say yes to the Word. That's so powerful. I mean, it reminds me of when she spoke of abyss meets abyss. Mm. When the, you described it as the, the abyss of our misery encounters the abyss of God's love. It's a very similar idea. In fact, you're right to make that connection that our, the misery in our heart is not the deepest abyss. There's an abyss of mercy. God is present in the misery or absence of love our soul suffers. He's present in us and he's waiting for us to go down and humbly offer ourselves to him in that misery, humbly accept his love. And in fact, the next paragraph, 28, Elizabeth actually says, you know, it's not enough just to say yes to the word, but we need to keep it. When the abyss encounters abyss, this is not like a one-time event, now I've moved on. It requires kind of a walking with the Lord through through what's going on in my heart. And, and so that when I recognize things like either brooding over injury or resentment or bitterness or lack of forgiveness or rash judgment or self-pity, 
when I recognize these things, I instead of being down on myself, oh, this is, you know, I'm falling into this again, just going, oh, here's something else I can offer to the Lord. When we are offering all these things to the Lord, we're exposing these things to the light of truth. And it is the truth that sanctifies us. So keeping the word, saying yes to Jesus, welcoming him, letting him dwell with us, means living in a place where we're allowing him to expose kind of the brokenness of our lives to the light of day so that we can see it for what it is and then surrender it to the Father. But it is not enough just to listen to this word. We must keep it. And it is in keeping it that the soul will be sanctified with the truth. And that is the desire of the Master. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To the one who keeps his word, has he not made this promise? My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. Keeping the word, that means exposing the different movements of our heart to the truth revealed by the Father through his Son submitting things to the cross of Jesus Christ crucified, giving him this brokenness, what it does is it makes space as we give these things to God, it makes space in our hearts for the Father to come to us and dwell with us and be present to us. And this is the awesome thing about the victory of good over evil. As we make space in the midst of all our imperfections, the presence of God begins to take over our hearts. God never needs to overpower evil in our lives. He's already conquered it. God doesn't need to crush it in a, a mighty moment. He's able to be present in the face of it. And all he requires from our part is our humble surrender of this brokenness to him again and again and again. Pope Francis says that God never gets tired of forgiving we get tired of asking for forgiveness. And to, to have the Father dwell in your heart means to learn, just as the Father never gets tired of forgiving, we need to learn never to get tired of asking for forgiveness. I see this as an encouragement for souls that are afraid of silence. I see this as an encouragement that if they will go through this, there's something so much more waiting for them. Uh, do you think that's a word of hope that people can receive? Or do you think that it seems so so far removed from their experience, it's hard for them to be drawn by it? I think, Anthony, communion is difficult for people. The concept of having that communion. I kept thinking as you were speaking, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and I shall be healed. You know, the idea that in our hearts and that they would come to dwell with us. I think of people that I personally even care about so much that have sought some type of peace in their pursuit of their own inner power. Somehow that makes them mighty and stronger. And as opposed to opening it up and allowing that communion to occur. 
very beautiful. I, Chris, you kind of pegged the essential difference between Christian prayer and most other kinds of meditation. Christian prayer is not an achievement, a psychological accomplishment where we get some sort of enlightenment and are able to surmount the difficulties, surmount the ambiguities of life. You know, Pope Francis, when he speaks about the wisdom of discernment, he doesn't say the ambiguities go away. <laughs> and the trials are a, are a necessary condition for growth, and the ambiguity is necessary. The Father allows the ambiguity because he loves freedom. Because he loves freedom, and he wants to see the freedom mature into a love, a love that is stronger than death. He is present in a lot of ambiguity, not only in the world, but in our hearts. And he chooses to commune with us in the midst of all the ambiguity he knows is there that really is repugnant to him. But because he loves our freedom so much and because he treasures our hearts, he treasures our love so much, he's willing to suffer that with us and be with us through it all. And that's what communion is. A communion isn't a psychological achievement where I surmount problems. Communion is a being with God, but also being with one another in the face of problems and believing in the good things that God is doing no matter what happens in our life. That what God is about is so beautiful and so good, it far outweighs all this darkness and hardship that we see. And so we learn to believe in it. What I loved about your application of these words to communion is that every time we go to Mass, this is what the Father is renewing to us. He's communicating His Word to us once again, and we are able to receive that Word in the real presence of the Blessed Sacrament, body and blood, soul and divinity, into our hearts, into all the ambiguities of our life. And of course, before we go to communion, we must bring to confession mortal sin. And of course, this means that we're working on uh, not voluntarily doing things that uh, are against the love of God in our lives. We're ordering our lives to God. But even as we order our lives to God, there's a lot of, of things going on in our hearts that aren't pleasing to Him, but He is patient with because He sees the beauty of our love and He treasures it and He wants it to unfold. And so. And so by being with us in the midst of all the brokenness, he's attracting us to himself. The more we let his word strip us of some of the things that we're afraid to let go of, the more we let ourselves be vulnerable before God, the more he attracts us. And what's the reason? I mean, the reason here that Elizabeth gives is because God really wants us to have extended periods and times in our life where we simply enjoy his goodness. We're simply at rest before the mystery of his absolute goodness in our hearts and in our lives and realize how beautiful it is that he is there. Just like he treasures our goodness and our freedom, he wants us to be overcome with awe and wonder about his goodness and his freedom and the love that he lavishes upon us. And that's what communion is all about. There's one more reason why I think souls that will step out and be brave and avail themselves to the silence of prayer when they're ready. The, the other thing that this kind of prayer does is it frees us from living a life 
where we're ruled by impressions and first impulses. Never to let myself be ruled by impressions, by the first impulses of nature, but to let the will gain self-mastery. And for this will to be free, it must be, in the expression of a pious writer, enclosed in God's will. Then I will be moved by his spirit, as St. Paul says. I will do only what is divine, only what is eternal, and like my unchanging one, I will live even here below in the eternal present. What the Father most wants is for us to have the freedom to love within the vast horizons of His will. And His will is not a, a narrow controlling thing. His will is what brought forth everything that exists. His will is what brought forth all kinds of freedoms that we see in the world and that we experience in our lives. And he delights in all that freedom. That's where his will is. But to have that freedom means to have the freedom of being moved by the Holy Spirit. And this is where being enclosed in God's will comes in. God's will is like, it's like the walls of a garden. It protects something very, very beautiful. When our will is enclosed in these garden walls, the Holy Spirit can blow through and accomplish wondrous things in our hearts and through our hearts and the whole world. But outside of God's will, uh, what happens is our will loses its freedom to love. Our will becomes vulnerable to things like our first impulses. And so we have rash judgments that often cloud our ability to really love one another to forgive each other, to let go of bitterness. We have moods that come upon us and make us self-occupied so that we don't have the inner resources we need to be present to one another, especially when our sons and daughters or our parents or our husband or our wife needs us to be there. We're not able to because we're being controlled by a mood or some other psychic state. Or we can get caught up in euphoria and, and not realize the broken hearts that are right next to us. You see, when we're caught up in those first uh, movements and those impulses, we're not free to be present to those around us. God, in his beautiful will, he chooses to be fully present to everyone. He chooses to be fully present to them in his power. That's what holds them into existence. And he chooses to be present to them in love. And that's what allows us to, to have a real relationship with him. And when we let that beautiful will of the Father enclose our hearts, a will that is fully present to us, his Holy Spirit can move us to be present to him and to others in the same way. And this is what solitude and silence opens up in our life. When we make this solitude and silence the kind of loving solitude and silence uh, that welcomes the word of the Father, a word spoken from the solitude of love, spoken out of the silence of love, when it is received in the loving silence of our heart, 
a silence that waits for what the Father has to reveal, a silence that refuses to be controlled by first impulses, that heart is free. That heart is moved by the Holy Spirit. That heart can do anything. All things are possible through that heart because that heart is held up by the power and strength of God the Father. You've given me so much to ponder here, Anthony. How about if we just close with this very last sentence? I will do only what is divine, only what is eternal, and like my unchanging one, I will live even here below in the eternal present. You know, I think one of the things that people are frightened of in terms of silence and solitude is they think that there's nothing going on. You know, God is kind of this static, uh, distant being who isn't really concerned about them or present to them uh, in, in their plight, in the things that are going on in their lives. And so they don't trust God. They don't trust that God is enough for them. But the eternal present, this is a moment of love where nothing, nothing, nothing can stop it. It is, a, it is like a, a tidal wave of presence and concern and truth and beauty. It's wonder and it's astonishing and it's surprising. And it's always there just before us, waiting to break in, knocking on the door of our hearts. This is the world that God has created. And it's a world so filled with, with goodness and power and beauty. We live lives that, um, that oftentimes are, are devoid of this, ignorant of everything that is breaking out all around us. What Elizabeth of the Trinity is inviting us to on this 11th day is to plunge, to trust, to abandon ourselves, to surrender ourselves to the silence into which the Father beckons us. A fullness of life awaits us because that's the world he created. The silence is not empty. The silence is not alienated, isolated, alone. The silence is a solitude, but it's a loving solitude. It's a silent fullness that is breaking in on us even at this moment. This is the silence that Mary said yes to. And long before Jesus was conceived in her womb, he conceived in her heart. And this is the fullness that is waiting us so that we can be fruitful in our lives. And this is important not only for our own salvation, for our own holiness, but it's also important for those that we love. If God is calling you to the silence, if he's inviting you into solitude, there's something powerful that he wants to do not only in your heart, but in the hearts of all those entrusted to you. So say yes to him. Let him lure you into this unchanging presence, this present that is the fullness of love itself, this present from which all the world came into which it is all going. We need you to say yes to this kind of prayer. The Lord brought me into a spacious place because he was gracious toward me. The Creator, 
seeing the beautiful silence which reigns in his creature and gazing on her wholly recollected in her interior solitude, is enamored of her beauty and leads her into this immense, infinite solitude, into this spacious place sung of by the prophet, which is nothing else but himself. I will enter into the depths of the power of God. Speaking through this prophet, the Lord said, I will lead her into solitude and speak to her heart. The soul has entered into this vast solitude in which God will make himself heard. His word, St. Paul says, is living and active and more penetrating than a two-edged sword, extending even to the division of soul and spirit, even of joints and marrow. It is his word, then, that will directly achieve the work of stripping in the soul. For it has this particular characteristic, that it affects and creates what it intends provided, however, that the soul consents to let this be done. But it is not enough just to listen to this word. We must keep it. And it is in keeping it that the soul will be sanctified with the truth. And that is the desire of the Master. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To the one who keeps his word, has he not made this promise? My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. It is the whole trinity who dwells in the soul that loves them in truth, that is, by keeping their word. And when this soul has realized its riches, all the natural or supernatural joys that can come to it from creatures or from God himself are only an invitation to re-enter into itself in order to enjoy the substantial good that it possesses, which is nothing else than God himself. And thus it has, St. John of the Cross says, a certain resemblance to the divine being be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. St. Paul tells me that he works all things according to the counsel of his will, and my master asks me also to pay him homage in this regard, to do all things according to the counsel of his will, never to let myself be ruled by impressions, by the first impulses of nature, but to let the will gain self-mastery. And for this will to be free, it must be, in the expression of a pious writer, enclosed in God's will. Then I will be moved by his spirit, as St. Paul says. I will do only what is divine, only what is eternal, and like my unchanging one, 
I will live even here below, in the eternal present. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.